0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. Today, we're talking with Michael Waterhouse, the president of Saving Moor Park. Today, we learn about the history of the Moor Park and Centennial Parklands, the importance of the Moor Park Master Plan, and the history of the $35 million Tibby Cotter Bridge to Nowhere. You're listening to Coogee Voice.
1: Saving Moor Park doesn't have a problem with the concept of the Sydney Swans and the Sydney Roosters, having a dedicated area that they can use for training. The quid pro quote of that is that it'll be available to the community on an uninhibited basis for the rest of the time. So the heritage of the sea is a really vital component of, of, of why uh, the park is important. well, as I mentioned, it was originally 153 hectares and about a quarter of that has gone.
0: Michael, welcome to Coogee Voice. Now, before we get into talking about Saving Moore Park, how long have you lived in the eastern suburbs and what do you love most about the area?
1: I've lived in the east suburbs since uh, 1983 when I returned with my family from living in Canberra where I've been a senior advisor with the Commonwealth Treasury. Uh, so we've had, what, I guess, 37 years or so uh, back here now. But my family, in fact, uh, have a very much longer connection to these suburbs going back to 1838. So very, very early in the, in the life of these suburbs. What
0: do you love most about the eastern suburbs?
1: Well, it's the ambience, the buzz, the choice of activities, the history, and of course, the parks.
0: Wonderful. So, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about Saving Moore Park and why did it start?
1: We started Saving More Park uh, nearly five years ago. Um, a year or two before that, we had been confronted by the construction of the Tiddiquotta walkway which was a large, uh, intrusive, uh, hard element in the park, which we didn't think was necessary uh, when I say we, I and, and a number of others. But we were too late to do anything about that, so we then didn't do anything. And then along came a suggestion from Stuart Ayres, the then Minister for Sport, to um, build a new football stadium on top of Kippax Lake, and we thought this is just is one step too far and we had to do something about it. So a group of us got together and uh, we formed Saving More Park and we deliberately adopted that title because we wanted to give it a sense of immediacy. This is what we are doing. We are saving more park, or at least trying to. We've been going, as I say, nearly five years now. So, uh, and we've had some small successes along the way uh, and we've certainly developed a, a good relationship with the Centennial Park and More Park Trust and work closely with them, supporting them and a lot of the things they're trying to do as well.
0: Michael, for our listeners, the Tibby Cotter Bridge is often nicknamed the Tibby Cotter Bridge to nowhere. Are you able to maybe explain why it has got that nickname?
1: It's, uh, well, to nowhere because when it was built and it cost $38 million, which is an outrageous amount of money, it just disappears into the park at one end, or really at the park at both ends, Uh, It is close to the uh, Sydney Cricket Ground, not so much to the football stadium. And the idea was that everybody would walk up from Central uh, and cross the bridge and go to the cricket ground or the football stadium that way. Well, in fact, it's far quicker for people coming from Central Station to come up Fitzroy Street Street and across Park to either either of those two stadia. So really, it was a white elephant that was out of the road Uh, It will have greater use now because the Devonshire Street, people can walk up Devonshire Street. So there is actually now a more of a physical link. But when it was constructed, certainly uh, it sort of just disappeared into the park and, and didn't link up with anything in particular.
0: So is there any ulterior motive as to why that bridge was built?
1: There was a suspicion that the plan was to build the football stadium on top of Kippax Lake and it, it would come out right next to the stadium. So uh, the suggestion was that, uh, yes, that was, that was behind the scenes uh, all the time, uh, just that the government wasn't announcing it.
0: So, Michael, why are Moore Park and Centennial Park so important for the people of Sydney?
1: Well, my focus, of course, is mainly uh, on Moore Park itself rather than Centennial Park, but I guess a lot of the comments are, are, are general aren't they? I mean, one of the obvious key reasons is the beneficial impact on physical and mental health of people. There's much greater recognition today of of how important green space is to promoting health and welfare in the community. And in the case of Moore Park, over on the western side of the park, uh, we have what is the already the densest population residential area in, in Australia. And it's getting more so. There's another 60 on the city of Sydney's ex- estimates, another 60,000 people will move into this area over the next decade or so, covering the green, green square through to uh, Waterloo, Alexandria, that whole area there. So the need for green space is, is absolutely paramount. The other aspect of that, of course, is in the current context of COVID-19 is the, the ability or the need that people have to move into green space, to, ex- to get exercise, to walk animals, dogs, to meet people or, or whatever. So it's, it's particularly important for, uh, for their health at this time that people use, have, have, the, have the park available to them to, uh, to use. And uh, and we've seen that. There's a lot more people now using the park than there were six months ago. The, the exercise, of course, takes many different forms. It can be uh, passive recreation. It can be um, uh, active people practicing uh, their skills in football or cricket or, or whatever. Or it can be golf. And, of course, there's a, a superb 18-hole uh, golf course there which uh, attracts many people. It's a very very popular course. It's the closest course to uh, the centre of Sydney and it does attract a lot of people from the city. So it's a, uh, and it's a major source of revenue, of course, for the uh, Centennial Park and Moor Park Trust as well. So, uh, you know, that's all under the banner, if you like, of uh, physical and mental health. To take that, I guess, a step further, the, uh, the, 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 something like one-third of the existing outdoor sports fields and courts in the city of Sydney, uh, in the in, in the General Moore Park area, and this is something of which there's a considerable shortage. Uh, there's a there's a new school in Cleveland Street, and uh, and so that's just adding to the pressure, if you like, the demand for sporting fields for schools to play and practice on. So that's another another dimension to that. There's also, I mean, I mentioned that there's a lot more people using the park now for, um, for recreation in the context of COVID-19. However, there is a shortage of facilities, and so we see more park, and, and this is true also, of course, at Centennial Park, of, of having a lot of facilities that encourage people to want to use the park and to come in not only to use the park, but also to communicate with others who are using the park. And so we want to see. So in fact, it becomes a vehicle for enhanced communication within the community because people meet with each other there, uh, whether it's to walk their dogs, whether it's to do various activities, and in, in the in the general area. For example, if they were to put cricket nets into the area, then you would find kids coming along to play cricket. They would bring their mums or their dads and inevitably they'd be talking to each other and you'd get a more of a community development occurring, a lot of communication occurring between people. But we're also looking for other things to bring people into, into the park, uh, shaded picnic and barbecue areas, a new children's playground, for example. So uh, again, that's a major, major area. Moving on, there's I guess two other major uh, reasons why the park is so important. One is its heritage, and the other is the environment. With the heritage, I, I think that's particularly interesting. I I am very much a historian, I I uh, and so I relate very much to the nat- where Moore Park stands in historical context, and it is part of the what was called the Second Sydney Common, created by Governor Macquarie in 1811, and other than Hyde Park. More Park is the oldest dedicated green space in Sydney, in the whole of Sydney. As I say, going back to, to 1811. In 1866, it was formally designated a park and was called More Park after the then mayor of uh, of the city of Sydney. It was at that stage 153 hectares, which is 378 acres, uh, and that was set aside quite specifically at the time for public recreation. So it's actually older than Centennial Park, which, of course, is 1888. Within Moore Park, you have Kippex Lake, although what it was originally known as was Nenny Goat Swamp, which is exactly how it got that title. I have no idea. I can guess, but I could be wrong. I don't know. But in fact, it's a, it, was a, it was a natural waterhole that was part of a network of, of waterholes, which the Lachlan Swamps, which are in Centennial Park, are also part. Linked by Busby's Boar, and it was a major source of water for early uh, early Sydney. So that's an, another historical dimension. Then there's the toll house, which is the only two story toll house left in New South Wales from the nineteenth century and it dates to eighteen sixty. Uh, another his heritage dimension is the Anzac Parade Obelisk, which has been moved successively from the uh, from the head of Anzac Parade near Moor Park Road. Further down Anzac Parade and then eventually into the park. And in fact, Saving More Park, our association, uh, has been conducting Anzac Day Dawn services there for the last few years. Not this year, obviously, but uh, in the previous four, uh, three years, we've conducted them there because um, nobody else was doing it. And we thought, well, this is a way of, of linking the park with the community. And of course, the Anzac Parade Obelisk is one of the oldest First World War memorials in, in Australia. And uh, it was actually the focal point for Anzac Day services in the city of Sydney until the cenotaph was constructed in the late 1920s. And then, of course, and most obviously, there's the ancient trees, all scattered all around Moore Park, some of which, of course, are no longer there thanks to uh, their demolition because of the light rail. There are quite a few, though, which date back to the late 19th, very early 20th century. So they're beautiful old fig trees, particularly. So the heritage, as you can see, is a really vital component of of, of why uh, the park is important. And then linking with that, of course, is the environment. And you've got considerable biodiversity, uh, a lot of Indigenous trees and shrubs scattered right throughout the park. There have been more tree plantings. Uh, That was the uh, uh, quid pro quo for the, uh, the removal of a lot of the trees. The government said they would new trees, plant new trees, and there have been a lot of new trees planted. But of course, to reach the, um, provide the canopy that the old trees had is going to take uh, many, many years. And so uh, whilst the trees are there, the, the real impact is, uh, is definitely a long way off. Uh, other things there, uh, one of the real attractions uh, for people can be the flying foxes come out in the late afternoons, and, and it's, it's actually quite terrific. In, in, in summer, you actually, if you come down to Kipax Lake, you, you will see them skimming the surface of the water. They actually drink as they fly. They dip into the water fleetingly and, and take off. They never stop because they can't. If they, they get water on their wings, they uh, would, would collapse in and drown. So they skim, gather the water, and, and go. So the flying foxes are, are a major part of the environmental benefit, if you like, of, of the park. Overall, the Heritage Council of New South Wales described uh, this as being an area of high sensitivity and a, an iconic area as well. So, pull all those together, and you've got a, really a whole raft of reasons why Moor Park is really incredibly important to the community.
0: Michael, Moor Park and Centennial Park have been described as the lungs of Sydney. Has the park size decreased in recent years, and what has been the impact of this?
1: Um, when, when I say gone, it's been taken up by the eastern distributor. Uh, it was taken up many years ago by some tram sheds that were down next to South downing Street, and today that's the super centre, Moore Park Super Centre. But that was originally part of the parklands. Then, of course, uh, there's the um, the light rail was taken more. Uh, there's a Tiviotta walkway. There's always something. The governments have, and I say that of all political complexions, have found a good reason why parkland can be used for non-park purposes. What we've got now is about one hundred and fifteen hectares, and it's something like twenty-eight percent of parkland in the city of Sydney. So yes, it is it is the lungs of Sydney, along with of course Centennial Park. You know, it's absolutely vital that it be preserved, and I think there is growing recognition that of the importance of this. I mean, there are a huge number now of academic articles uh, which have investigated and, and concluded that the impact on the health, as we talk, as I talked about earlier, is so incredibly important that really, um, you know, it, it, it is just vital that it be preserved and that there be no more erosion of the park space. And even even small amounts, I think, are important. Let me give you an example of that. There's still currently on the... Plans for the city of Sydney to have a cycle path which will link the um, uh, the Centennial Park area right through Fitzroy Street and into the city, and it will mean widening the, the footpath along Moore Park Road between Driver Avenue and Nansat Parade, and it will mean taking about one one and a half meters of the parkland over that full distance and that proposal went to council and, and I objected to it not because I object to cycle paths. Because no case has been made as to why the parkland should be taken for this. And I mean, I I think that everybody who wants to take some of the parkland has to make an incredibly good case for this and, and not just assume that cycleways are good, therefore we can take parkland. Uh, as a result, the proposal was withdrawn and I'm sure it will come out again at some stage, but but I certainly communicated to Clover more that the fact that it was really important that she make the case and she's been a great supporter of the parkland, so she understood exactly where I was coming from, I'm sure, but I really felt she hadn't made the case or the council had made the case and they needed to do so because it's only by being completely transparent and absolutely justifying it and letting the community comment on any proposal of any it doesn't matter how small before any more park land is ever removed for any reason whatsoever,
0: Michael, so can you tell us a little bit about the moor Park master plan and why it is so important?
1: Well, the moor Park master plan was a plan that was developed at some considerable length there was an extensive consultation with the community back in two thousand and fifteen and or particularly sixteen and this plan was developed because there, there had been plans of sorts before but nothing much had ever happened with them. And they certainly hadn't undergone the rigorous analysis that, uh, that this plan did in the development process and hadn't been the level of consultation with the community. There are basically four main themes to the plan. first of them is preserving green space and heritage. And already talked about the heritage. And obviously, uh, the, the word there, key word there is, of course, preserving. Well, they're all key words, but preserving is, the, is, the, is, the, is obviously a vital part of it. Uh, rather than seeing it eroded in, in different ways, so it was. If you like to think of it as, as being a stake in the ground to try and um, ensure that no, no land is taken, that the park is preserved. Bear in mind also incidentally that with Moore Park, we also are also talking within Moore Park about the entertainment quarter. That's also part of it, part of, of Moore Park, and and even from a heritage point of view, that's, that is important. But coming back to the green space, you know, there are certainly proposals for tree plantings, uh, you know, an an urban forest, if you like, and generally acknowledging, recognising and consolidating and enhancing the green space that we've got there for the benefit of the community. So that's the first major theme. And there are, as I say, four themes. The second one was improving access and connections across the park. The Connections could be pedestrian paths, cycle paths and the like. I don't know whether you've walked through Moore Park in recent times. Wherever you look, there are fences. There are fences lining uh, the the bus path, uh, the bus lane, from uh, the runs between uh, down near the light rail station and in Lang where Lang Road ends, Cleveland Street uh, up to Moore Park. There's there's one long uh, fence, so nobody can actually with one. There's one break. Uh, which is more or less where the Tipicotta walkway goes over. There is a break there. That is the only break over more than a kilometre. So anybody walking along Anzac Parade has great difficulty accessing uh, the park. When you get into the park proper, everywhere you look, there are fences, are barriers stopping people moving through the park. Years ago, um, when the Roosters had their training field established, There was a a big black fence all around it, and this is before Saving More Park came on the scene. And I spoke to Kim Ellis, who was at that stage the executive director of the uh, Centennial Parklands, and I said, "Why are we got to have fences around it? We're talking about an area that, yes, it's going to be—it's been upgraded significantly, upgraded. It's going to be used by the roosters' training field, but then it's going to be all the other rest of the time it's available for use by the community. The moment you put a fence around it." It seems to say, this is roosters' training field, keep off. And today, if you go to, to what's called Tramway Oval, the circular oval that's opposite the SCG, this is used by the, the Sydney Swans for training. And it's got a fence around it. With the roosters, I was able to persuade him to remove that fence. There's a temporary fence there at the moment, but I was able to persuade him to remove it so that it was open for the community. In the case of Tramway Oval, we now have a fence, a circular fence around it there are three gates to it. Two of those gates are locked so that you cannot move north-south through Moore Park into, into that area at all. You can access it from opposite the SCG, but there's one gate, so you have to go in that gate and out that gate. You can't traverse the, that area, and I have a personal problem with that. So there are fences everywhere. There are fewer on the other side, uh, on the western side of the park, uh, but nevertheless... One of the aims that uh, the Moore Park Master Plan has is to reduce the number of fences, perhaps replace some of them with hedges where you need barriers of one sort or another, but get rid of hard, hard surface fences. The third area uh, really is one that I've already touched on, and that is improving facilities to encourage greater community use of the park. I've talked about high performance sports. I don't, And when I say I, Saving More Park doesn't have a problem with the concept of the Sydney Swans and the Sydney Roosters having a dedicated area that they can use for training. The quid pro quote of that is it'll be available to the community on an uninhibited basis for the rest of the time because it's quality surface um, and it's fine for walking dogs on or, or the like. But it, and that achieves some sort of balance between the, what the community's needs are and the needs for high-performance sports. Of course, in an ideal world, you wouldn't have high-performance sports, but we don't live in an ideal world. We do live cheek by jowl with uh, high-performance sports who use the Sydney Football Stadium uh, when it's rebuilt and also the cricket ground. We have to accept that this, in, in, in a densely populated area, there are going to be tensions. But I think the balance is largely there at the moment, not completely and not as... And certainly I would like, by the removal of fences and the like, to see much greater freedom to move through these different areas. But then having the facilities to draw people into the park, whether it's a children's playground whether it's uh, other activities, um, um, if you like, shaded barbecue areas and picnic areas and those sorts of things, things that bring people in, cricket nets for kids to play in, things that bring people to the park. At the moment, the green space is there and that's fine for general passive recreation, but we also need things that actually bring people to the park. And the fourth area of the More Park Master Plan related to improving the park's uh, social, environmental, and financial sustainability, so that over time, and particularly picking up the financial s- sustainability, the park—I don't know whether people realise—but the park is not funded by the government at all. In fact, it was put to me by Kim Ellis a few years ago uh, before he left for other pastures that, in fact, uh, they're a net contributor to the government because they pay GST. Absolutely no money finds its way in from the government to maintain the everyday operations of the park. Nor, in recent times, have they put any money in for the provision of, of new facilities and the like. So their whole area of financial sustainability uh, gets down to the, the capital expenditure that's needed for the park, and the operating expenditure that's needed. And both of them at the moment are, are sadly lacking. The, the park pays its way with some difficulty. But every time I've had discussions with Denise Ora, who replaced Kim as the um, executive director there at Centennial Parklands, every time I've had discussions with her, she said, we'd love to do this or we'd love to do that, but we don't have the money. And as long as this goes on, we will end up with a highly degraded park, the, in one in which the government has not invested, any government has not invested in for 20, 30 years. And I'm talking about any meaningful investment that proves the facilities available for the community. And so, you know, the, we, we need, therefore, something that is inherently sustainable, whether it's from the point of view of, the, of what works for the community, what works for the environment, and what works on a financial level. So, they're basically the four themes. And as I said, Moore Park has had no meaningful investment in decades. And it's the poor relation of Centennial Park. Centennial Park has had investment in it over the years. And, and it's a jewel in the crown of the Centennial Park Bands. They call it Centennial Park Lands, which is also a bit of a problem for us because Moore Park tends to slip under the radar when you only ever refer to Centennial Park Bands. If you go to the tennis center that's in Moore Park, You'll find Centennial Parklands banner up there, not Moor Park. And as a result, it just tends to slip off people's radar. People don't see Moor Park as the area that uh, they go to. Yes, they know it's a destination for cricket and football because the uh, sign on the front of the uh, light rail will tell you that, or the signs um, telling, uh, directing traffic will tell you about Moor Park events. But the as park as a parkland, no, it just doesn't get the attention that it should. And it's become extremely run down. And to be honest, it's really used largely as a pedestrian thoroughfare by people attending games at the football stadium, the cricket ground, because there aren't the facilities there to attract people. And this is why the Moor Park Master Plan is so important, because it provides a, a, a whole raft of different things that can and should be done to, to create this environment for, uh, for the community.
0: Michael, why do you think Moore Park hasn't been given the attention that it deserves?
1: Other than as a source of uh, land for non-park uses, of course, which has been given attention—the wrong sort of attention—over mm. the years, I think partly because it hasn't had the profile that Centennial Park lands have had. I think that that is is clearly a a factor. It's because it has been used. Or two big areas of More Park East have been used extensively for car parking, and clearly nobody's going. You you wouldn't expect the Centennial Park and More Park Trust to invest money in remediating the surface, which is going to be chopped up by uh, by cars uh, when they park there. And we're talking about a space in the, in the two parking areas. There's one up near Park Road, that's the northern area, and that's the main area that we're focused on in the short term. The other area is down opposite the Royal Hall of Industries and Entertainment Quarter, and between the two, they take something of the order of a couple of thousand cars. Uh, I go back a, a many, many years, uh, back into the 1950s, which where car parking actually was where Tramway Oval is today, opposite the SCG, and then it got moved over to the other side, uh, the western side of Anzac Parade, and then it got brought back in, into the eastern side because it was more convenient for people. So uh, car parking has been uh, in the park now for, that I'm aware of, um, 60 to 70 years, and uh, and, and uh, um, my suspicion this goes back even further than that. It's been seen, if you like, as a car park. And why invest in a car park? You know, it's there. It functions as a car park. Why do we need to do anything about it? I guess the other way of answering your question, uh, Marjorie, is – to say that really the focus hasn't been on the value of parks in the past. I mean, the whole concept of green space, public space, open space, is something which is becoming more commonly understood and talked about nowadays. You know, as I said earlier, there's a lot more academic research on these things now. And so the public health benefits of having green space is now far more recognised. But government hasn't yet caught up uh, with this in terms of how it's allocating its funds. We can get in a minute, I guess, to talk about uh, the new Greater Sydney Parklands, which is some people, government would argue, is a step in that direction. And that may or may not be the case we will have to see. I mean, I think there are some issues around that, but we'll, I guess, come to that. But really, government hasn't yet caught up in terms of how it's allocating funds, to green space and as a result, yet Moor Park has not received any funding. So we've got a Moor Park Master Plan that was signed off by the government four years ago and they have not committed any new funding towards the park as a result of it.
0: Now, Michael the New South Wales government has announced that they seek to remove the individual trust structures from each of the great parks in Sydney uh, and create sort of a super trust. How do you think this will impact our parks and how they're managed and cared for?
1: Basically, there were three, there were three trusts, three parkland trusts. There was Centennial Park and Park Trust. There was the uh, Parramatta Park Trust and there was the Greater Western Sydney, Western Sydney Parklands Trust. Those three trusts continue to exist. They have not been abolished. What has happened is that they've established now a super trust, if you like to think of it that way, so that there is one board and that board... I guess, changes its hats according to uh, what it's considering at any given time. It it can meet as the Centennial Park and Park Trust, it can meet as the Parramatta Park Trust, or it can meet as the Western Sydney Parkland Trust. Or it can meet as the Super Trust because the Greater Sydney Parklands Super Agency, as people are calling it, also picks up uh, Fern Hill Estate uh, and Callum Park. So, in other words, it picks up parks which aren't part of those three trusts so you have this rather strange vehicle uh, that's been established for us the important issue is yes the centennial park and more park trust will continue to exist what of course has happened is that uh the membership of the trust board has completely changed with one exception there is a centennial parklands community consultative committee established under the Act of Parliament, and that continues to exist. And that Act of Parliament requires the chair of the, of the Community Consultative Committee to be a member of the Trust Board. And Patrick St John, St. John uh, who is the chair of the committee at the moment, is, because of this requirement under the Act, is on the new Trust Board. And the same, as I understand it, applies in respect of the other two Trusts. But the point is, so we yes we do have one person who actually lives in the, in the eastern suburbs and knows the Centennial Park and Moore Park Trust from experience and lives locally. Um, he is the um, uh, is the sole person on the trust board who understands what the needs are of the local community. There is nobody else because none of the others uh, they all live somewhere else in Sydney. Uh, Michael Rose, the chair. I don't know where he lives, but he is not, to the best of my knowledge, from the eastern suburbs of Sydney. And uh, I I may be wrong on that, and and, uh, stand to be corrected. But by and large, there really is the one person representing trust. The other thing is that you have Sue Ellen Fitzgerald as the chief executive of the new agency. And I've met with her and I uh, respect her. She is extremely knowledgeable. She has a master's degree in landscape architecture. If anybody can say and do the right things, it's got to be somebody with her background. Uh, and certainly I've been impressed with her to this point. Having said that, she works in Parramatta. So you have these uh, the Eastern Suburbs Parklands being administered by somebody whose location is in Parramatta. I have no doubt at all she will appear whenever she needs to in uh, out of Centennial Parklands uh, to meet with people there. But nevertheless, it can't be the same. You don't have the same local feel. So therefore, really the the concern is that we don't have. There's a loss of con- corporate memory, if you like. I mean. Denise Aura has has gone. She's gone to the Botanic Gardens. So you don't have the same corporate memory uh, anymore and you don't have the same feel for the local community because it's no longer just a local community. Um, So our concern is the ability for the local community to contribute and interact with the new vehicle. Having said that, it would be remiss of me not to say that Michael Rose, um, uh, I participated in a conference last week when he spoke and he said that communication with the local community is certainly something very high on the, the list of the, the, the board uh, of their priorities, which is good to hear. What it means, I have no idea at all at this stage. It's too early in, in the scheme of things to to know, but he's saying the right things. So I guess we maintain... Reservations about how this is going to play out, because there's no easy way that uh, we're going to be in the position to have the same, if you like, intimate knowledge and interactions with the the the, um, the parklands of the new of the new agency that we used to have with the Centennial Park More Park Trust as it was then constituted.
0: Now, Michael, before you go, there's three questions that we ask every guest on You Voice. need to tell us your best or your favourite beach in the eastern suburbs, where you can get the best coffee and where sells the best hamburgers.
1: For the best beach, I think Tamarama because it's got a lovely sort of uh, feel to it and... uh, uh, so I, I do like that. The best coffee, uh, the organic bread bar uh, up in South Darling Street is excellent, but then so is Morris, which is nearby. So there's a couple of places there that uh, I'm happy to, uh, to mention. Um, uh, and and I shouldn't say there's the Art House Cafe on the corner of Greens Road and Boxen Street. So there's three. There's three within walking distance of us. Best hamburger? I'm not really into hamburgers. <laughs> I'm not sure I can ask you. But there's some good pizzas uh, uh, in the area, and and one in particular is the Captain Cook Hotel. They make a good pizza. So um, whether they're into hamburgers, not quite yeah. sure.
0: <laughs> Michael, thank you for joining us on Coogee Voice. If people would like to learn more about saving More Park, where should they head to?
1: If you go to our website, uh, saving More Park, and with our ing on the end, it's not save More Park, but saving More Park. Uh, if you go to uh, SavingMorepark.com, you go to our um, website there, you'll see plenty of information there. Most importantly, it gives you the opportunity to register support. It doesn't cost anything at all, but anything you can do to boost our numbers helps. At the moment, we've got over 4,000 supporters. And that's not just who have registered on the website. There's people who follow us on and like us on Facebook, but also we have Twitter and Instagram. So if that's your favourite social media platform, then uh, go to Saving More Park on those and, and you will find us and you can follow us and support us and like us. And uh, as I say, if you can register, your support that way at least you get our newsletters when you come out, when we bring them out, which just intermittently they're not all the time. Yeah. So if you can, uh, people would like to contribute and, and that way, that is great. And if, you've any, if anybody has got any great photographs of Moore Park, please send them through to us because we can whack them up on Instagram and we'd be pleased to do that.
0: Wonderful. Michael, thank you for joining us on Coogee Voice.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Marjorie.
0: Now, wasn't that an informative discussion? Now, if you'd like to check out the famous flying foxes of Moore Park, head down to the park at dusk. And if you'd like to get involved in the campaign to Save More Park, head to savingmorepark.com. Thanks for listening to Coogee Voice.